This this is the Impressions Exchange Podcast. Impressions Exchange Podcast. Where all topics impacting the graphic imaging and printing industry are addressed via in-depth news coverage, analysis, and timely interviews. Welcome to the Impressions Exchange Podcast. In this episode, my colleague, senior editor Dan Marks, speaks with Dustin Stearman, founder of Vert, a provider of custom cannabis packaging. They discuss Dustin's background before jumping into opportunities that exist in the cannabis space, how Vert is trying to destigmatize the industry, regulatory requirements to consider before entering the industry, how segments differ, and how packaging and cannabis companies can work together to create more meaningful end results. I'm speaking with Dustin Stearman, founder of Vert. Um, first of all, Dustin, welcome. And can you, um, let's start with a little bit about you. Um, what was your path to where you are today, primarily in the packaging segment, and um, but also serving the cannabis industry? Sure. First, thanks for having me on today. I'm excited to jump into the conversation. I'll just do a quick overview of my career in packaging. I started my career in packaging in 2006. I uh, was actually 17, just finishing up my senior year of high school. Grew up in the paper and packaging industry. Started at a industrial paper converter where we had um, four industrial paper sheeters, five industrial paper rewinders and slitters, and cut my teeth in manufacturing, converting, distribution, um, logistics, uh, we housed about 10,000 tons of paper on the floor from magazine and publication grade through to folding carton grades utilized for Kellogg's, um, cereal boxes, tops playing cards, and spent five years uh, up until I was 23 um, working in that business and then pivoted out. Um, publication was dying, unfortunately, with the rise of digital media. I realized that if I wanted to hang around the paper industry, I was going to need to focus Further on the packaging grades, food grades, hygienics, and ended up going down that path. Uh, before I knew it, I was involved with self-adhesive label material, and I had built a converting and distribution program for a foreign manufacturer of self-adhesive um, called Torres Papel. And we were bringing in 60-inch wide uh, jumbos and cutting those down to go to narrow web converters. And that was like 2013, 2014. And that's where I first got to see um, digital printing of packaging grade was on the narrow web indigos supplying the label materials and seeing this technology you know at that point over a decade um, old but really seeing press rooms convert from you know traditional analog equipment to more and more digital presses going into the market back in 13 and um, it was around the same time that I was looking at getting to cannabis um, was studying the market wasn't sure how I was going to get into the industry um, 2015 rolls around. First time I'm at the MJ BizCon in Las Vegas. It was still a very small industry. A year into legal adult use in Colorado, less than 5,000, 6,000 people at the show. And I quickly realized that um, I just really need to stay true to what I understand, which is the packaging supply chain and that there would be a pretty big opportunity to build. Okay. Now, <clears throat> can you describe Vert right now? I, uh, my understanding is it's a new company. Um, how would you say your approach to serving the cannabis industry is sort of tailored to what you're doing today? Yeah. So, you know, the industry has evolved a lot since 2015, but, you know, when I look at the packaging supply chain, it has not. Um, you've seen disruptive um, closures and disruptive form factors brought to the market per se. But the way that you buy packaging, the way that you design packaging, the way that 
packaging is made in terms of the traditional supply chain still very much remains unchanged. So we're, we're looking at the entire process. At the very beginning, you start with just identifying suppliers and then move on to design. So a lot of room to rethink and rebuild how that works, leveraging technology to create a better customer experience and ultimately, um, you know, really something that's removing a lot of friction from what is traditionally a complex shopping and design experience today when it comes to custom packaging. Okay. In general, do you think there's a stigma around the cannabis segment? I mean, I know I, I've been to different conferences. People talk about it as this opportunity, but um, it seems less accessible or than, let's say, jumping into beverages or something. Is How is it different? Yeah. Look, I think the stigma is less today than it was five years ago, but it still very much remains and exists. And depending on what state you're in and what community you're in, um, it's different, right? I, I'm pretty sure I was listening to something in New York, which, as you may know, New York is now adult use. But I, I think this the the Long Island, I believe, is what it is that there's a lot of resistance towards um, supporting retail shops opening up in Long Island, and that has to do with the folks that you know make up the the local um, uh, regulations and um, those that are involved with rulemaking uh, for the given territory so it's not even just state it, it it is very much you know county and and region at times um i would say that as it relates to society the, the data shows that um i think we're now in a place where folks over 18 the majority has tried cannabis in the last 12 to 24 months whether it's 51 percent or 60 percent, i can't exactly tell you mm-hmm. uh, the fastest growing segment right now is actually you know those that are senior citizens we're, we're destigmatizing to answer your question. Yeah. I, I guess building on what, what you just said, I mean, one of the things that seems different to me is the fact that you have knowledge of um, the legality of this, the the ever-changing playing field of, of both state and um, sort of regional acceptance or, again, legality. Um, and like I said, to use beverages as, as an example, that that's something that those folks don't really have to know as deeply. Um, are there other sort of legal bits you need to understand? Is there um, required labeling elements that need to go on, something like that? Certainly. Every, every market, every state, um, I call them markets, but ultimately it's every state, has its own unique regulatory requirements and inside of those requirements is a section for packaging and labeling. And every state at this point has its own um, unique um, state symbol or logo that identifies the product and the package as something that contains THC. The uh, regulatory verbiage that's required to go on the package, although there are some similar elements, I would say every state has its own version of what mm-hmm. is required on that package as relates yeah. to the statements. Um, these logos, these statements, they also get updated. Um, at times, it's every six to 12 months. We see that happen in immature markets um, are, are where you see the most updates happening because they're figuring it out as they go. But even in mature markets, there are continuously updates that, that roll out. So the answer to to you know how do you keep up with it is you got to be active in the markets that you're serving and keeping up with what legislation is rolling out what types of new requirements are rolling out uh, Missouri is a great example right now 
Uh, Missouri just released some updated packaging requirements that initially were going to go into effect January of 2024. I believe it's now pushed out to the spring, but it's more than just even the custom packaging. It's it's going to the containers and going to opaque containers and you can no longer have clear glass. So, you know, when you see those kind of um, challenges happening up, it really bodes well for um, suppliers and manufacturers that offer quicker turn, more of an on-demand supply chain, allowing operators to not have to carry as much inventory and face the potential risk of significant obsolescence. Right, right. And then <clears throat> as a service provider to the industry, is is it a value add you offer to help your customers stay in line with those types of packaging requirements? Or is that up to them to keep track of and to know about and to comply with? It's a great question, right? We, we don't take liability for compliant packaging from the standpoint of what is written on the packaging. We take liability for making sure that our clients receive a child resistance certified package um, that's on us as a supplier every state has its own guidelines around you know and some states differ in terms of um resealability versus tamper evidence um and <laughs> there's a lot of variables um, mm-hmm. as i said we don't take on the responsibility of the compliance logos or verbiage we will assist um, we do have a, a library of that data we do update it um, but how we're thinking about that is very much, you know, part of our 12 to 24 month roadmap and how do we leverage AI to start to create a better experience for our clients who are launching brands and potentially become mm-hmm. a part of their team when it comes to compliance checking. It isn't something that we're doing today. It's very much out there for us in terms of the future. Okay. And then I know in, when you were introducing yourself here, you you talked about sort of your move, your into uh, the digital printing space and the sort of different thinking involved in that. Um, for digital printing, why is it that it, it fits so nicely with the needs of the uh, cam- cannabis industry, manufacturers and sellers? Well, I, there's, there's a couple of variables, right? And it depends on the form factor. Um, it, it, I would say that the never ending changes that we were just discussing of regulatory requirements is a great reason for why digital plays well in this space. When you look at the overall run sizes, you know many brands are small to medium-sized operators. And when you back out and you look at their business versus other um, traditional segments like natural food or pet treats, and the reason for that is m- many brands operate in a single state, whereas somebody who's launching a pet treat or a cosmetic brand can shift throughout the country. So that demand is and that addressable audience for that brand is significantly less mm-hmm. than somebody who can have nationwide distribution. So. You look at run size, uh, you look at regulatory changes, and then on top of that, you have a fair amount of skew proliferation. So run sizes are small to medium, but then you know you still have the same kind of skew proliferation on shelf as you would in a traditional category, which only makes the demand that is being bought even more fragmented um, when you look at art changes. And that's where digital really plays well is the the digital manufacturer you know, is able to be competitive with that aggregation of demand and not have the art changes playing as much of a factor as maybe that analog producer. Mm -hmm. And, and by and large, is there a sort of average run length that you're dealing with? Like what is the top end and what is the, the average? Um, I would say I can't speak to the average. I would say to the top end, there are brands that buy millions of units per year, um, on the low end, there are folks that are starting out that want to buy a thousand to two thousand pieces. 
we're building BERT very much to serve that entry-level operator because that's the underserved right now in, in this market. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that brand and the fact that they have to go and buy labels from one supplier, containers from another supplier, shippers from another supplier, right. it, it's again, it's filled with three times the amount of friction. So we're really focusing on on um, single sourcing that experience for the client and allowing them to just deal with one partner. And then we will look at, you know, do we want to produce certain things in-house? Do we want to bring in strategic manufacturers who are forward-thinking converters mm-hmm. um, as partners of ours, where it makes sense to um, send them some of our demand based off of the relationships, the relationship that we're able to establish. And, you know, really do they have the technology in-house to be able to operate the way that Bird operates? Right. And, you know, I think um, the cannabis space is a very interesting vertical market because it seems more contained, um, at least to somebody who's on the outside of it and harder to understand, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's not in most people's houses or lives every day. Uh, But at, at a baseline level, what do you think printers who are looking at the cannabis market need to know minimum? Wow. That's a, um, it's a big question, right? I think for starters, you need to study the market. You need to understand what the market's consuming, um, not just from a packaging standpoint, but what are, what are they building? What are the brands building? What are their products? Uh, cannabis is no different than any other industry. It's still, many industries are still relationship heavy and relationship driven when it comes to establishing trust as a supplier. So, you know, if you're coming in and you're looking to pick up clients that are in the cannabis space, but you don't understand the industry really uh, much at all, mm-hmm. then how's that trust going to be established for me right. as a customer, right? You know, like if you don't know my business or you don't know my industry, why am I going to trust you to supply my goods when it, it's an industry that has a lot of challenges on it, uh, you know, involved in comparison to many others? So I would, I would begin with really studying the market, studying the local market, begin with, you know, um, those that are in your backyard, you know, in your community, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't, don't try and shoot, you know, 1800 miles away to go build business, you know, focus on where you have value and where you have value as being a local partner. Yeah. And I think that, that idea of being a service provider versus being a partner in a business. And I think that partnership starts with knowledge and connection and builds from there. In terms of the producers you're working with, what what do you think they're visually trying to portray with their packaging? Is it the quality of the product? Is it potency? Is it just setting a mood for somebody? Um, what trends are you seeing in that area? It, it really varies. It depends on the state. Some states are very limiting with the colors that you can use on packaging. Some states are very limiting with the graphics that can be utilized on packaging. So I think you have to first begin at what state are you serving? What do the regulations look like? That's going to then impact brand design. You know, New York, I think, has got a max of 60% um, opacity, I believe, in the colors. And maybe it's not opacity, but saturation. Okay. You you can't use very bright colors in New York. You Hmm. could use those colors in in California. I think you could use them in Colorado, too. Uh, Missouri, another one that's, you know, pretty limiting in what the um, on-package branding uh, looks like. Those are factors, but then when you look at the brands, um, it really depends on who's, who that brand is catering to, right? You have a pretty wide demographic um, and, and audience in cannabis. When you look at the the movers and shakers and who's really in the store buying consistently, there are two types of consumers. You have your value consumer and your canisaur. Um, branding could look a little bit different between those two categories and shelves, but 
you know, it, it really just depends on, on the brand. Ultimately, I think you see premium finishes, you know, folks like their spot glosses. They like their spot metallics. They like soft touches and mats and tactile finishes very much. You have brands that are going more for a, uh, you know, a, a female audience potentially, which is going to look more like a cosmetic brand. And because of that, um, they might have, you know, their packaging looking a little bit more like a cosmetic type of feel golds, silvers, pinks, then you've got, um, you know, when you look at product categories, even if, you know, somebody who's selling a flower product versus an edible versus an infused product, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of different factors, Dan. I think ultimately, I think why a lot of people struggle to get into this space is they're shooting too high, right? You really got to kind of step back and say, this is a brand new market for us. We're not going to get in there overnight. You know, let's just focus on taking our time, getting in the space that you just said it, you know, let's focus on building relationships yeah. first before gaining the business. The relationships, as you build trust, eventually they'll have a need. If you've gotten really clear on what makes you special as a supplier, they'll know why you stand out and they're going to call you when they have a need. Mm -hmm. And I know you touched on this in your last answer, but let's explore it a little more. But that idea of, um, you know, uh, special finishes, um, embellishment, those types of things on the packaging, is that attractive in this space? And does it help people sort of premiumize their product over other choices on a shelf. I would say that there's definitely room there to utilize embellishments to portray um, a premium brand and create a premium brand and feel for a first time consumer who's never seen the product on a shelf before. Um, I've seen a lot of folks shoot too high when it comes to the packaging that they're designing and investing too much into developing a premium look and feel for their product and ultimately didn't have the product to back it up or weren't serving the consumer that cares to spend X amount of more money to support packaging costs that is not in line with where the industry should be. So it's a fine line. I would say that there are plenty of operators who would love to have embellishments that are cost competitive um, and definitely you know, want to utilize those embellishments as a way to stand out from the crowd and look different, feel different. I would say that the first time experience is definitely different than the repeat consumer and the repeat customer does not have as much care about that package is maybe the first time they found it on the shelf. Sure. So it's, it's, it's a balancing act. Yeah. I mean, it's like any other product, the, the, the package may pull you in, but if you ultimately like the product, if it's food, if it's a a liquid, if it's whatever, um, the package doesn't have as much of a job to do if you liked the product, right? You'll just go buy more of it. Correct. And and that's where, you know, you, you can't have your cogs out of line when it comes to packaging costs specifically, the the market is extremely competitive. I actually think that we're um, seeing a little less unique form factors in the market today than we were a couple of years ago. And the big driver behind that is unit economics, the the, the cost of that packaging. So then you think about, well, okay, if I'm not in a complete custom form factor, how am I leveraging design to Mm -hmm. make me or my brand unique and stand out? And that's where embellishments come in. Just for my own sense of visualness, if I picture, you know, regular type package versus premiumized package as a horizontal division, I think there's kind of a side by side division where you could picture the recreational side and the medicinal side of the cannabis mm-hmm. market. How are those different to serve and what are the needs of those different spaces? Um, how are they different from each other? Well, again, I would say that that's going to depend state by state. So every state, well, certain states just have a medicinal program. Pennsylvania is a great example. 
uh, third largest expected um, uh, for revenue this year in 2023, but only a medicinal state. With that comes limitation on the products that can be produced. And with that comes limitations on the packaging and the branding and look and feel. Now in Colorado, where I live today, we have a mature adult use and mature medicinal um, marketplaces that exist. Mm -hmm. the, the key differentiators are going to be dosage. How much milligrams of THC can you um, sell in a adult use product versus a medicinal product? Pretty sure adult use is capped at hundred milligrams. Um, medicinal, I'm not sure if it's a thousand, maybe it's more, maybe it's a bit less. That's going to be your primary differentiator in a mature market. Branding is somewhat similar in, in this market from adult to call it the, to a medicinal use. Mm -hmm. um, it's more so, you know, value for the consumer who might be utilizing it as medicine or consuming um, much more than those who are just utilizing it recreationally on the weekend or something like that. Sure. Okay. And then this is kind of a two-sided question, but based on your experience, what what's one thing that you think package producers who are serving the segment could do better? And then on the flip side, what's one thing the cannabis industry could do better to work with package producers? Great questions. Um, I would say transparency in the process. You know, folks don't like going to a black hole. I don't think it matters what industry you're in. A lot of packaging companies, the experience fails at the time that it, the order goes into manufacturing and the customer no longer has visibility into what's going on. For far too long, the industry has operated that way. Consumers today who have never bought packaging have the expectation that they're going to deal with somebody like Amazon. So if your experience isn't like that, they're going to keep on looking elsewhere until they find somebody who does. Um, that's my opinion. That's what okay. I've seen. On the flip side, what can cannabis do better? Um, cannabis could do a better job of making sure that they bring and surround themselves with the right resources when it comes to packaging design. So trying to be a bit more proactive with planning would be, would be one element. If there's a gap and a lack of, of knowledge or understanding, um, you know, going to the packaging supplier you might be working with and just communicating, Hey, this is where we might be falling short or where we need a hand. Do you have any references for us mm -hmm. to work with? A lot of headaches could be solved with proactive conversations, which in all fairness to the cannabis brands and operators, they, if, if you've never done it before, you don't know how to do it better. So I think that as the packaging manufacturer, understanding that a lot of folks in cannabis have never done this before and maybe kind of going out of your way to work with that client to, to educate, provide resources, call out and identify where there could be common friction points that might come up during the packaging design through to delivery process and then proactively working with those brands to help them become aware so that, again, you're working as a team versus a customer supplier and blame shifting with that. Now, as of April, um, I looked this up the other day, um, marijuana is legalized in 24 states and an additional 15 have it legalized for medical purposes, um, but it's still not federally legal. So do you ever worry about action on the federal level that could just bring this whole thing to an end? I don't personally. Um, I think the industry does as a whole, the public markets do as a whole. You know, we just had some recent news shared in the last couple of weeks um, with the idea that cannabis is going to be rescheduled, mm -hmm. uh, I believe to a schedule three drug, um, which very much could have a lot of impact on, you know, the, the product and the industry itself. A lot of what ifs, a lot of unknowns. Um, in my opinion, you know, the ship has sailed in regards to recreational cannabis. Mm-hmm you can't turn this around at this point. Cat's um, out of the bag. 
cats out of the bag, right? The states aren't going to just give up the tax revenue that they get today. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of work that's been done to build at the state level to create uh, regulation. So I don't see a rewind button here with the industry. Um, I personally believe that the possible rescheduling, you know, I I share my thoughts a lot on LinkedIn. I don't, I'm not a big, I am not a big supporter of big pharma for a lot mm-hmm. of reasons. Um, I think that they have a lot of answers that the public doesn't have access to today. And I philosophically and ethically and my morals aren't in complete alignment and agreement with that. You know, you look at the um, opioid epidemic that's, that's taking place around the, the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we have big issues out there. Now, if you could get the right people involved with the rescheduling of this drug that are going to advance the technology and the understanding of how this plant can be utilized as a medicine mm-hmm. to save lives, enrich lives and enhance lives, that's really interesting to me. Um, you know, we were just talking about the medical versus regu- uh, recreational market. When I look at these markets today, yeah, um, very much a blurred line. Um, if we really want to have true med- medical markets, then I could see some reasoning to bring in folks that have the capital to invest to advance the use of this plant and treat it as medicine. But then on the other side, I ask myself, do we have the right people ultimately at the helm of those companies? Um, making the right decisions or what's driving it. And it's a double-edged sword. Um, So I'll park that there. Um, To answer your question around building in cannabis is, you know, you're risking to lose everything. I don't see that being the case today. Well, Dustin Stearman, thanks so much for talking to me today. Delightful to chat with you about this. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on and always happy to connect. Uh, For those who are listening and interested in what we're up to, please check us out at vertpack.com or jump on LinkedIn, Dustin Stearman. DM me. I'm always happy to have a chat. I want to give my thanks to Dan for hosting this episode and to Dustin for joining us on the show. Finally, I want to thank all of you, our listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Impressions Exchange podcast.